Well, I'm going to ask somebody to come forward and take the communion service away from that table. Any seven of you can volunteer. Thank you, Carolyn and Ralph. Because I have baskets again. And I'm bearing fruit. And as you recall, last week we were in John 15. We started in John 15, 1 through 16. There's a passage there on bearing fruit. And it's some critical data, some critical information. When we start in the moment of salvation, we're not bearing any fruit. Our basket is empty. We don't want to go here anymore. When we get the basket number two, verse number two, we're bearing fruit. So I'm just going to kind of look in here and see what I have. Fruit. Fruit. Jesus says he's the vine and his father is the vine dresser. And we, when we come to salvation, his goal is that we'd move quickly to the next basket or we would bear some fruit. And I don't know, I had to... The third basket, we have no fruit, some fruit, more fruit. Ta-da! This is the fruit you have to keep away from the worship team. I'll get a book so you can see that. No fruit, fruit, more fruit. And then finally... much fruit in God's eyes in our eyes actually this is like having a popcorn bowl empty there's nothing worse than a popcorn bowl without popcorn this is like having a popcorn bowl after your brothers have already handled it it's not it's pleasing to God but it's not as pleasing as the one down there And I don't think the, uh, power, the PowerPoint I sent got to the PowerPoint people this morning. So let me just remind you what we talked about last week. And you're going to have to take notes. And if you brought your Bible, you want to open your Bible, because I'm going to give you a lot of things to look at today. Part two of the bucket today, the fruit today, is about discipline, chastening. <clears throat> if we uh, last week we discussed uh, briefly that Jesus was trying to teach his disciples at the Last Supper some critical things they needed to know in order to fulfill living the Christian life. And I think some of us think we're in the right place right now in our Christian life, and there's no room for improvement, or there's no need to prove improve. But Jesus was moving them into a new level of understanding, fruit-bearing. It was the illustration that he used. 
It says in John uh, 8, no, John 15, verse 30, and verse 13. Let's look at John 15 and verse 31 of John 14. He says, but so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up and let's go from here. And so the disciples got up. Judas had already left the the supper. He was not there anymore. The disciples got up. Jesus had already told them about the fruit, or he's going to tell them about the fruit. As they're walking down around the temple mount, in through the temple, down the side of the mountain, across the valley of Kidron, up to the mountain where the Garden of Gethsemane was, Somewhere in that process, Jesus probably found, saw a grapevine. And he picked a grapevine up and he started using it as an illustration of the faithful Christian life. And he introduced four things. 15 verse 2. Uh, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Some branches in Christ at the moment of salvation... <laughs> We're going to excite him, and we're going to make it happy. But in some sense, we're not bearing fruit at that moment. Um, I say that's the, the lift up and clean. He says, arrow is the Greek word that is translated there as uh, he takes away. He picks up the vine. If you've ever seen a vine down on the ground, he, he reaches down, he picks it up. The vine dresser cleans it off. Maybe he snaps off a few leaves that are in the way of the growth. And then make sure that it hangs up so that the fruit can grow, get sun, and have water, and not be crushed or blocked out by the leaves and the dirt and everything. So at that moment, we're basically without fruit. But he cleans us up and he gets us ready. And John 15, 2, it said, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You, ladies, you, gentlemen... He picks you up. And he prunes you. You know what pruning is? Pruning is when you take your fiskers or something like that and you snip off the branches and the leaves that are not supposed to be there. You know that. If you've studied anything about um, plants, flowers, corn stalks, there are some things that grow right with it, but there are some things that don't. And so you have to prune those away, right? So he starts to prune immediately. And the pruning at this place, there's four stages, and I'm going to get to that. But he starts to prune, and pruning involves discipline. Pruning then moves to the branches, and he says, you're doing a good job over there. Now, for a season, you were listening to me. Now I want you to listen to me again. Pruning, I'm going to tell you in a minute about it, but pruning is essentially you're doing something good and he wants more of it. Pruning is not a sin issue. Chastening or discipline, and I'm going to use those two words interchangeably, chastening or disciplining is a sin issue. God wants you to move from here to here to here. And he will do that by pruning away, taking away things that he doesn't want you to have, things that he, or increase block, or take away blocks that are keeping you from succeeding more graciously in what you're trying to do to be a better person so that you can grow. And sometimes 
I know you guys haven't, don't believe this, but sometimes we do the wrong thing. And when we do the wrong thing, God says, oh, stop the show. And just like a dad or a mother, he starts to discipline. And the discipline fits the crime, if you believe God is God of justice. And he wants to move you to a place where you have much fruit. You are abiding in Christ. You're living every day. It's not that you're sin-free, but you're living every day. As you're walking with Jesus, as you're singing the Christian songs, as you're being a testimony and a witness, you're bearing fruit. And fruit, in, this, in these examples, in this illustration, is anything that successfully causes the heavens to be joyful. Any deed, any work, anything you write, anything you say that it is beautiful in the halls of heaven, is meaningful for eternity, that's what fruit is. God gives us gifts, and our gifts are sometimes, he says specifically that children are a gift from God. Homes are a gift from God. Knowledge is a gift from God. Friends are a gift from God. Every good and perfect gift, I said that earlier, comes from God. So he gives us great gifts, and he wants us to walk with him in superintending and supervising and growing the things he's given us in a, in a way that he would approve of. Finally, we get to uh, verse 10. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. In his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. God gives us the ability to be disciplined, be pruned, because we can't do anything eternal without his leading and guidance and without his hand being upon us. That's another reason that he gives us the Holy Spirit. That's the primary reason. God knows that we cannot overcome our flesh and the world and all the tempts of, temptations of the devil except that we have his spirit, we have his faith, we have his promises to do so. So no fruit, that's the moment of salvation. That's the moment of the foot washing. He said to the disciples, you're clean because I've given you the word. This is the level where you get the word of God for the first time and it comes on you and he washes you with the word and you, remember, you, you come to know Jesus. Do you remember that moment? When I came to know Jesus, I, was, I told you last week, I was pretty excited about it. I want to hit somebody with my Bible. I was going to make them understand. I had a passion. I wanted to do what I could do for Christ. It was just amazing. Every one of us should remember that time. And some people say, well, I don't exactly remember. Well, you don't exactly remember, but you unexactly remember if you're in Christ. I think I was eight years old, living in sin and debauchery. Anybody? Anybody awake out there? You know, the kid tells his testimony, hey, I was living in sin and debauchery, smoking, drinking, doing drugs. 
At eight? That's what I say. <laughs> Where were your parents, right? No. We remember those moments because it is so significant in our life. And after we've been walking with Christ 40 or 50 years, we sometimes think we forgot. And that's why we need to ask each other, and we do this often. Our, we have a, a men's coffee time over at Bex West on Monday at 10 o'clock for any of you who want to join us, men. And we ask each other, what, what's your testimony? And even though we know each other a little bit, those are powerful moments. They're powerful for us that are listening, and they're even more powerful for him who is telling it to us. Fruit. That's a moment of fruit. He's sharing with us. Jesus says in John 15, 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give you. He, we did not choose him. He chose us. He chose us so that we would bear fruit. And we bear fruit because he gives us the Holy Spirit to help us do that. We can't do it without the Holy Spirit. Chastening, I want to talk about chastening. Chastening and pruning are different. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm going to blow your ears out. Chastening and pruning are discipline and pruning are different. Chastening may also be translated discipline, and it involves moving us away from a personal sin. We do not have or bear any fruit when we are living in sin. Mostly, we know the sin is there, but we choose to ignore it and not repent of it. Now, some of you are thinking, what do you mean I choose to ignore it? Pastor gets up and says something about this or something about, whoa, what did you do, turn it on? Something about this or something about that. And the next thing you know, you're thinking, well, that doesn't apply to me. I'm perfect. How to handle my money, I handle my money with a, in a good way or I treat my wife pretty well. Don't overeat. Don't overexercise. But there are steps to deal with that. And God says... He does not like us to be in sin. He will make a move to separate us from that sin. That's called discipline or chastening. Chastening starts when you sin. And chastening stops when you repent and stop sinning. And I can add right now that sometimes the consequences of your sin go on. But God stops chastening you or disciplining you. Pruning is different from chastening because it is not for correction of sin. There is no sin involved in pruning. The purpose of pruning is so your personal relationship with Christ will improve and grow. Your mother keeps you home, doesn't want you to go out to some place because she knows it's not good for you. Or she gives you a curfew that is good for you. Or she tells you not to eat that because it's not good for you. That's what God does. God comes into our lives. He establishes some parameters. And he said, I'm going to chasten this part. 
Or that's what God does when he loves you and he keeps you from something that he doesn't want you to do because he likes what you're doing elsewhere. Some of you are so generous and so careful about sharing what you have and helping those in need, and God wants you to continue to do that, and he will try to keep you focused on that. And you will say, how can I be more focused? I don't know. I'm not the pruner. He is. I'm not the discipliner. He is. The distinction is clear that when you are disciplined or chastened, you're doing something wrong, and he wants no more of it. When you're being pruned, you are doing something right, and he wants more of it. God will not give you advance notice of when he's going to prune you or when he's going to discipline you. He's the, he's the uh, gardener. He's not going to say, I'm going to prune you now, or he's not going to have Wayne come over and tell me, Corbett, <laughs> You're in deep weeds, brother. Discipline is on its way. I wish God worked that way, but he doesn't. Because it's mano y mano. I'm not equal to him, but he is over equal to me, and he wants me to stop sinning or to start doing what I'm doing better. Pruning like chastening is always faith is always painful. <clears throat> Here's a part of the paradigm shift that God was trying to get the disciples over. We are the same way as they are. We always think that our life is going to be wonderful. Don't we? I'm a Christian now, man. I mean, what? how can things go bad? And then sometimes something happens. Something happens, and we know that God is involved in our lives. Like pruning or chastening, it's always painful. Pruning may be external or internal. You know you're going through it. You can't wonder why, what am I doing wrong? If you know that something is going wrong, you need to ask him who's, who's de dealing with you. You need to start to think, what am I doing wrong and how do I get my life started again? You could get angry. Why am I being punished? Why has God putting me through this? And that's the, a normal reaction. Why is God putting me through this? How do I know if it's pruning or discipline? I'll tell you three steps. If you, have, if you feel like you're being pruned, you just check yourself out. Do I have a guilty conscience about something? Is God telling me that my actions and attitudes were wrong and I need to do something to correct it? Am I depressed? We all get depressed. Sometimes it's medical. Sometimes it's because we know we're walking in a mud puddle and we don't have anything to do to justify it. I call it a mud puddle graciously for your little ears, but not guilty conscience, no guilty conscience, no depression. Are you tough to live with? I look around the audience and I see no heads moving. That's one of the symptoms. And if you have some of those three in your life, one of those, uh, a guilty conscience or a sense that uh, you're tough to live with or a sense that you're just depressed about something that's been going on, well, you're being disciplined. And if you don't have any of those feelings, then you're being pruned. Now, it's not 100%. I'm not God, but I think that those are pretty good ideas of how you feel, how you observe the symptoms. 
And the peace that's found in Philippians 4, 7, the peace that passes all comprehension is peace you won't get if you're in the middle of a pruning experience. Well, you might, but or if you're in the middle of a discipline experience. That peace comes when we give our lives totally to Christ and we start walking. I, and the hardest place to do this is in your home. And the hardest, second hardest place is where you work. And the third hardest place is the people you go out and see. You could say to yourself, you know, I don't do anything wrong. I, I run a big company. My wife and I have a lot of money. We got a big house. I drive a Ford sports car. You do things that are not right, and you do things that God wants you to do. And when you're doing something God wants you to do, he's going to prune you a little bit more to bring you in more in line with his will so you can do it better and keep doing it. And when you're not doing something, you're sinning, he is going to cut you off. Well, he won't do that, but he will try to box you in so that you will stop and say, Lord, what am I doing wrong? There is no, if there is sin, the key is to repent and be restored. You can discern that. Sometimes you have to go to God and you have to ask him what's going on. And that question you have is, am I being pruned or am I being disciplined? Ask him. The first thing we can do is we can ask God, is there some sin in my life that I'm not paying attention to that I need to pay attention to? Is there some sin in my life? Ask him. And if the answer doesn't come right away, then start to wait 24 hours minimum, three or four days. If he doesn't reveal anything to you, then you're probably being pruned. If he reveals something to you and you want to do something about it or you get up and do something about it, you are being disciplined, but the discipline stops when you stop sinning or when you take care of the sin. When you uh, realize that you're being pruned, a good friend of mine said, when you're being pruned, if you recognize there's no sin that you're doing, you can't find it, God hasn't given it to you, you're being pruned, then accept it. Relax. Enjoy it as much as you can. One one guy that Nita and I have listened to before, and we talked to him before, he said when something like that happens, get on your knees in prayer and give God permission. Give God permission to prune you. Give him permission and say, I'm going to work with whatever it takes. That process might take a while, but... I just want to give you a few pointers to help you understand how the Bible speaks of sin. How the Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit working in our lives to keep us away from sin. First, there's a, the conviction that he brings. The Holy Spirit said, in, or Jesus said in John 16, verses 8 and 9, When he, the Holy Spirit, comes, 
He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe me. The Holy Spirit will convict you of sin and he will reveal it to you. And particularly if you're asking for him to reveal it to you. Chastening also involves, there's conviction and there's the chasing, there's the discipline. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 5 through 11. It's a long passage, but I'm just going to read it. If you have your Bible open, Hebrews 12, 5 to 11. He says, the writer says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons, which is, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And he scourges every son whom he receives. That's a passage that really makes you want to draw close to God, right? It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what is there whom his father, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline of which all have become partakers, all of us are going to be disciplined then you are illegitimate children and not sons. You either get discipline or you're not a son. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of the spirits and live? All discipline for the moment seems... I'm going to skip verse 10. No, I won't. For they disciplined us for a short time. Our fathers disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he, Christ, disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So we have conviction of our sin. We have chastening, which God says he's going to discipline us. We have confrontation because in Galatians 6, 1 and 2, it says, brethren, confrontation. If anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Your sin will be noticed. And if we notice your sin, we're going to talk to you about it. You have the conviction. You have the, the promise of discipline from God. And now you have confrontation. We're to bear one another's burdens. We're to share the problem and that help you be rescued out of it. There's church discipline. And the passages for that are Matthew 18, 15 through 17 and 2 Thessalonians 3.14, many others. Church discipline happens if you become if your sin becomes obvious and you ignore the warnings. This is the next step. The purpose of the church discipline is not to crush you, but to lead you to repentance and to restoration to the fellowship. 
If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. And then, you know, if he listens, fine. If he doesn't, get somebody else, one of the elders, and come and talk to him. And if he listens, fine. If he doesn't, treat him as a Gentile and put him out of the church. And we do that so that they'll get, they'll miss us is really the big reason we do that. We do that so they will miss us and they'll get so fed up with what they're doing, they'll come back and say, I'm so sorry, I repent before God and before you. That's the purpose of discipline. Then there's one final thing I think I want to talk about. It's called severe chastening. <laughs> Hebrews 12.6 uses the word scour- scourging, scourging. This is where God gives you a good spanking. And he uses the scourge whip. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and scourges every son whom he receives. Your sin is not too nice that he won't punish you or won't discipline you. Your sin is still sin. The little lies, the little stories that you make up and things that you do, he will lay your con- his conscience on you so that you will repent of them and you will stop doing them. There's two more characteristics of discipline. First is physical sickness. Some of us are sick. Now, this is important, so you might as well wake your neighbor up and let's say, listen to this. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight: physical sickness. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat the bread of the, eat of the bread, talking about communion now. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat the bread and drink the cup that we just did. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink the cup. I wrote that twice. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep, a number have died. That's a difficult passage to read and understand, but remember this. All sickness is a result of the fall. Sin came in the world and brought sickness with it back at the fall of Adam and Eve. Not all sickness is the result of personal sin. Something's in the world. I, I, my throat, I, I'm hoping it's not personal sin, but my throat hurts. But God, that sin came in the world when Adam and Eve sinned, and it opened everything. And one day when he comes back, he's going to do away with all that. But in the meantime, we're going to get sick, some of us. And we're going to get sick, some of us, because we don't examine ourselves, we don't take responsibility for our sins, and we don't repent of them. Sickness in the Christian church is directly related sometimes to personal sin. God will not continue to tolerate a bitter, angry, prideful person. None of them in here, but if there were, he won't tolerate them. Bitter, angry, prideful. He's going to chasten it out of you and he's going to use your Christian brothers and sisters to help. There's a second discipline. It's called physical death. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. Going back to the 1 Corinthians passage. Many are sick and some are dead. 
They refuse to yield to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Acts 5 talks about Ananias and Sapphira. Can you hear me back there, Joyce? Ananias and Sapphira. They failed to yield to the Holy Spirit. And Peter said, Ananias, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? And he fell dead. Ananias did. Physical death. We can only push God so far. That's one of the places that we should reverence and fear God. His discipline and His purpose of keeping us pure and holy. And chastening has a great antidote. Chastening, the antidote is to stop sinning and tell God you're repenting of your sin and then repent of it. Turn from it. Do something differently. Hebrews 12, 1 and 3 says that faith is developed as we don't grow weary in our struggle. Faith is developed as we don't grow weak in our struggle. Verse 5, and let me, I'll just go over there so I can read it to you. Hebrews chapter 12. If you want to find a passage that will shake you up, go there. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let God's will have its way in your life. Let God's will be the way you choose. Verse 6 said, For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines, and He scourges every son whom He receives. This is a picture of God taking the scourge whip, the cat of nine tails, and wrapping it across my back and pulling my flesh off, exposing my body inside. And that's the picture. God wants us to give up the flesh. Be done with the things of the flesh. Discipline ultimately yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That antidote is to repent and turn from our sin. Discipline ultimately yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. We abide with Christ when we continue to repent, we continue to be pruned, and we continue to be better, and we continue to enjoy the Christian life. We, we don't become perfect, but we become better in every aspect because we're giving our hearts and our lives, everything fully to Christ. Those little children that were here we're sitting over there by Austin, and we're sitting by Brandon and Melissa. Those kids, it is our responsibility, and they said it with uh, Gifty. It is our responsibility as a church family to hold them and love them and cherish them and help them grow to the abiding. All those people here this morning that are new visitors, we want to get to know you. We want to know who you are, what you do, your family. We don't want you to go down to the local uh, bar and grill and have more fun than you have when you come here. 
But that's what happens a lot of times, right? Turn to your neighbor and say, what's he talking about? No, I'm talking about us. When we come in here, we are supposed to be family. We're supposed to know each other. We're supposed to love one another. We're supposed to engage with one another. And if we're not doing that, we need to figure out how to do it, don't we? Some lady jokingly told me I couldn't hug out there anymore because I can only hug her. It's a nice rule, but it doesn't work. I greet people. I love people. I greet the men. I hug them. You can't hug Wayne very well because he doesn't like to be hugged. And try to hug Chuck Reed. I mean, that boy does not like to be hugged. <laughs> well, I mean, Bev gets away with it, but I'm me. But we need to know people like that. We need to look across the auditorium and see no strangers because I went up and met them. I love them. That's what our church should be. My wife and I talk about it all the time. When they walk in the door, they ought to become family because we start to know them and love them and cherish them. I've been talking a way long time. Discipline. Discipline. Let's just pray and we'll close. Father, we just... um, We want to be people of wisdom. We want to be people of maturity. We want to know you and know the power of your resurrection. Lord God, if there is any sin between you and me or between you and anyone else in this congregation, I pray that you would reveal it to me or to them. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that is trapped in a situation where they can't bear fruit because they're living in sin, that you would reveal it to them. Lord, I pray that you would reveal any past or present sin that you want any one of us to handle. And I personally confess and ask forgiveness for those sins now. Forgive me for grieving and quenching you. Help us to move to the place of joy and abiding in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.